I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. We're two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. The Immoral Minority, a group formed after the Moral Majority began exercising political muscle, is urging school districts to think carefully before complying with the majority's request for details of their sex education programs. They might find themselves deluged with similar nuisance-like requests from other individuals who have no children in their school district, Robert Shirley, a founder and spokesman for Immoral Minority, said Wednesday. Shirley's warning followed a request by Michael Ferris state director of the Moral Majority, to the state's 300 school districts for material regarding sexual reproduction, contraception, abortion, homosexuality, sexual intercourse, or other sexual contact. Last month, Ferris backed off on a demand that the state librarians supply him with the names of the school districts which had checked out an award-winning sex education film titled Achieving Sexual Maturity. The state had refused to comply with his demand, and Ferris eventually dropped a lawsuit aimed at forcing the disclosure. We are concerned about some self-appointed guardian of the public morals cruising across the state in an attempt to usurp the right of individual parents and take a hand in their own children's education, Shirley said. The real issue is that Mr. Ferris does not want to talk about the 17,000 teenagers who became pregnant last year in Washington, he said. Shirley said teenage pregnancies can only be avoided if there is frank discussion taking place in public schools. Shirley raised the possibility of a legal confrontation between the moral and immoral groups when he said he would consider intervening as a, quote, friend of the court if any school districts are sued by Ferris for refusing to comply with his request. (laughs) When do you think this was written? I mean, I know, but our our listeners should take a second and... Leave, leave your guess. This is a news article. And leave I want your guess best in Slack or in the review part of whatever app you're using to listen to this or on uh, Mastodon. Let us know what, when you think this was written. We will put the link in the show notes, but like buried down at the bottom. So it's a. Uh, you have to actually guess first. Peek. I love this piece. I a friend sent it to me the other day. Um, she'd found it in some research she was doing for something else. And I, I just died. This is like been the Easter egg that has like given me joy all week. I don't know who Robert Shirley is, but I want to be his friend. Uh, yeah. I, apparently she, she did talk to him and, um, I, I'm going to get in touch because this is hilarious to me. We need to have him on the show. We need to have him on the show because one, I want to make merch buttons based off of his immoral minority buttons, which I will also put a link to in the show notes. There's a button museum. Now I'm, I'm showing my hand <laughs> like political button museum that has a copy of this button, immoral minority button. And I love it. And I, I want to get his permission to make some of our own because we need it. I need it on a coffee cup. I need it on a t-shirt. I need it on a tote bag. <laughs> this piece is from 1981, y'all. It's This has been going on. Michael Ferris has been doing this and making people angry since 1981. I mean, before 1981, but also and, since 1981. And... The left has been making the exact same mistake in their response to his 
endeavors every single time since then. So we have some thoughts. We do. We have some thoughts. We are, we're, this is the first in our at least three, possibly more part series on parental rights extremism that we've been like teasing about all season. So yeah. So let me just give a little like explainer for those who are not in Slack. This would have come out a month ago, but my grandmother died. Don't feel the need to like reach out or say anything about it. It's not a huge surprise. She was not having a good time. She was experiencing a lot of dementia related, like serious issues. And she is no longer struggling to figure out who she is or where she's supposed to be. And that's great. So I'm happy she's at peace, but have definitely been doing a lot of like trips to Richmond to be with family and like doing organizing and logistics and, and stuff to like help out because that's what the firstborn homeschool kid does <laughs> when all the adults are shut down and struggling to, to, to executive function. So I appreciate everybody's patience. It's been, you know, just a lot happening, but I am very excited to talk about this. (laughs) It's been, it's been such a long time coming and we've been doing a lot of work trying to get this together. And it is, it's so big. There is so much that we're going to cover. And there's just an overwhelming amount of information. So hopefully this is worth the wait. You know, we're both doing this on the side of day jobs and other things that we're doing, other organizing, CRHG stuff. Like, so um, when shit hits the fan, this is kind of the first to go, unfortunately. But we love you and we've been thinking about you. And we're like really like finally ready to just like unload what we've been figuring out yeah okay so that happened in 1981 this shit is still happening now i want to just like put one more pin in it i because i'm feeling really smug here we've been doing a lot of research to like fact check ourselves and our memory Mm -hmm. and it's been very gratifying to just discover like all the academic authorities are pretty much saying the same things that we were going to say. So we wanted to be very careful about this and make sure we were not just like talking from memory and experience like we often do and really give you some like reported work here. But it's just been very affirming (laughs) to like go through and be like, yep. All right. The experts say the same shit we were going to say. Yeah. It's affirming and also like, I hate being right. I hate actually discovering that I'm actually an expert in this. Yeah. Yeah. Talking to lawyers and experts and realizing that, no, we're actually, we're very much on the same page here. And everything that we've been observing and experiencing are all, yep, that's, that's what's happening. So this is in the news a lot in relation to trans kids, like, um, Karen, you want to kind of catch people up if they aren't paying attention to how this has been showing up in the news and like what we're seeing? Yeah. So like, I mean, Florida has basically 
banned the public existence of trans children. Um, it's very dangerous to be an out trans student in Florida right now. Um, they've banned medical care. They've banned access to sports and like, you know, your teachers are required to report to your parents if you come out to them. It's a very dangerous situation. It's happening in Florida, happening in states all over the country. It, like it's getting to be too many to count. Like I basically can't go to the South anymore. Like I can. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I've been having, I've been having this, this ongoing conversation with our, our mutual friend, Emily about how like trans activists on the left are keeping track of all these bills. And there's this, this double-edged sword hap thing happening where on one hand, having people sitting on Twitter, like documenting every single bill that's put out of this nature is really good to just kind of overwhelm. This is, leftist community with the urgency of this issue mm -hmm. because it's it's everywhere and it's it's a lot um but on the other hand like that doesn't reflect the like the reality of how many of these places will not let those bills see the light of day for like public debate on the the floor mm -hmm. of whatever chamber they're in at the state level um, and we do have like really strong allies in every state house working against this and like shutting them down. And the ones that are coming through, like they will probably be challenged in the courts. There's definitely like ways that not all of these will be like the permanent rule of law. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the future is not as like grim as it looks when you look at just like the sheer number Right. All of these. But the strategy is consistent with everything we've talked about in terms of like the grassroots level organizing on the right of just flooding the system and seeing what we can, what they can get through to the top. And then like using that as a model yep. to replicate next season. It is, it happens over and over, but. Um, yep. And they've been doing this for several years. Like none of this is new. All of these, like, this has been a multi-year project and more and more things are, like, they're, they're adapting the rhetoric, they're figuring out how to get things mm -hmm. through. Other states are copying each other to find ways around and the, the goal is obviously eventually to get it to the court. And as you can see from that article that Kieran read, like, the, the tactic is the same. Mm -hmm. It has been this same method. The, like, moral panic, like hot button issue has changed from abortion to trans kids. Yep. But the like strategy is the same, has been the same, is consistent. And we're at this point where like, okay, they're figuring out what they can get through, what they can get past and like what phrasing and what like messaging, like they can slip past the mm -hmm. moderates or those who are not really as educated about, you know, <laughs> like the actual like genetic biology <laughs> right. of being scissor trans and like the ramifications of hormones and like actually how things work. Like those who are not as well informed, they're figuring out what they can get past them. And so next year's 
legislative cycle is where we're going to really see the impact of this year's like open season trial run. Mm -hmm. And we have some thoughts about how the left is responding. (laughs) Yeah. But before we get into that, like, it's really important to point out that the reason we're talking about this is not because they're targeting trans school children. Mm-hmm. It's because the rhetoric they're using is founded in parental rights and parental rights extremism. Their whole argument is that the existence of like trans people and trans kids knowing that other trans kids exist or the existence of general sex education is an infringement on the fundamental rights of parents, which does not actually exist. And that phrase is really dangerous. The fundamental rights of parents is uh, a dog whistle to pay attention to. It, it, It signals something really serious that we're really concerned about. So, you know, trans kids as the like example issue case study for this conversation But this is a larger conversation that touches everything from labor laws to censorship to free speech. Like it just to medical, like medical access and rights for medical care. Like it touches all of these issues broadly, vaccine access, like so many basic, basic things. Um, Well, and even homeschooling like this started in the 80s as part of michael ferris's crusade to legalize homeschooling by saying it's the fundamental right of parents to choose how to educate their children and that does not include sending them to public school which as we've talked about in so many episodes the right uses historical revision revisionism um to manipulate their audience in terms of like, we want to get back to this time where things were the way we want them to be mm-hmm. in the future, but that past never existed. And that's part of what we've been researching to try to document because like, we know that like the concept of like parental fundal- fundamental rights is not a thing that has existed in the way that they are articulating it and framing it and we want to kind of draw back the curtain on why (laughs) why this revisionist history uh behind this strategy is really important to understand and and that needs to inform our response um as we organize around and against this parental rights extremist nonsense yeah so what is the left doing that like we could really be doing better the left is giving ground on the term fundamental parental rights so they are doing the like good parent bad parent back and forth with the right so like the rights like parents should have the right to like keep their kids in the dark about X, Y, Z. And the left has been responding like a lot of like wonderful, thoughtful people, legal minds on the left have been responding with this. And it's just, it's so disappointing to me that they they're doing this 
they're giving ground on the concept Mm -hmm. of fundamental parental rights. And they're saying, okay, but the liberal parents have a fundamental parental right to allow their child access to these things, to, you know, to have access to this information, this particular medical care. Like, so they're giving, they're seeding the foundation of this argument um, and responding in the particulars. And that is setting yourself up for some real messy, messy legal situations going Mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, because like in actuality, and I think the better way to argue this is that parents have responsibilities. They have a fundamental responsibility to their child. They do not have rights over their child because children are full autonomous human beings. (laughs) (laughs) And all this goes back to property law. And like what we're going to do, like our next episode is really going to get into the, the history and the legal language around this but for just like a a preview like sarah jones uh friend of crg um and labor rights journalist from appalachia uh wrote for um the new york for new york mag um about this recently where she highlights the issue of like this whole conversation's framing turns children into property Uh and using the concept of property law, property rights is a really, it's not going to work in the long run because kids grow up. Right. 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 But historically speaking, children have been treated as property and that's why so much of the, the law allows for these kinds of conversations and this kind of precedent where it's like, let me read this quote from her. So she's talking about the labor rights conversation where I don't know if you've been paying attention. If you haven't, there's a lot going on. There's so much going on. It's not on you, but there, there's been a, a, a growing movement to change labor laws to allow children to work in factories, in other settings. Like there's a series of articles that have been covering this pretty well. Um, we can link to a couple in the show notes, but <laughs> I, it's, it's funny to me because this goes back to I had siblings who would work at Chick-fil-A. And part of the reason like the, the homeschool funded kids work at Chick-fil-A is they know this law well enough to set up a waiver system so the parents sign a waiver for their child to work at an earlier age than the basic state level. At least in Virginia, that's how it, how they do it. Mm-hmm. So like you could get, I don't remember if it was 14 or 14 and a half, but somewhere around there, you could get a job at Chick-fil-A if your parents like signed us a, a waiver saying like, this is okay. Whereas like the child could go out and get a job without that waiver at 15 and a half mm-hmm. independently. And so this is, this is a property like law setup. Well, and also in a bunch of States, parents can sign a waiver to marry their child right. to whoever with same, like no age limit. Same framing. And so let me read this quote from Sarah Jones. Um, in each case, talking about these these labor cases, 
Conservatives portray a conviction that a child is the property of the parents. Because parents own their children, they can dispose of the child as they see fit. See Kieran's comment about child marriage. They can then deny them evidence-based medical care. They can put a child to work. They can make sure a child is sheltered from the dangers of a serious education. When a child goes hungry, that's because the parent isn't caring for their property. And what a person does with their property is right. And I would say if I were writing that sentence, I would say is like, is there their own private business? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about all the libertarian conversations about like, I should be able to do on my land, like whatever yep. I would like, it's the same framing. Yep. And I mean, a lot of like, I remember reading like, you know, all the courtship books and all the child raising books and like all of that, all of that is based on the idea that children are the property of the parents until they get married. And then if, if you're a woman, you become property of your husband. And if you're a dude, then you just like age up into adulthood, I guess. Right. And I, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but like this is part of why when I got married, I did it the way I did. I got married uh, in January. I My ex-husband and I had wanted to get married in May. I was a senior. He had already graduated. And my father told him no when he went to ask for my hand in October. And he and his reasoning was no child of mine is going to have a, an engagement that is longer than six months because that's dangerous. You'll fall into temptation. You'll fuck before the wedding. Couldn't have, have that. that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So I I got married during winter break instead. Because in October to January is less than six months, and October to end of May or early June would have been six and a half, seven months. Right. The pedantry of this whole thing is just obscene. But in that conversation, he kind of like laid it out for my ex-husband being like, when the priest asks or the pastor asks, like, who gives this woman away? Her mother and I is the, res- the traditional response. At that point, I will be transferring my authority over my daughter to you. And then she'll be yours to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the exact phrasing. But the sense that mindset is that property. Like yep. I don't have any autonomy as an adult. And so I would be a property that would be transferred and this is that that archaic, you know, I mean, Jessica Valenti talks about this in the purity myth really well, where she's outlining the history of civilization moving from hunter gatherers to nomadic uh, herding flocks, tending flocks, shepherding to cities and owning land and having like ownership of buildings and land being a like an issue mm-hmm. and so having virginity being tied to property rights was a way of ensuring inheritance and property transference and so that's where like women as property became tied up with that that law and also children as property as a and result of that property. right so it goes back to all this and like 
a lot of, we'll get into this more, but like a lot of the English common law, which kind of just is like evolves from how law had been practiced over centuries in England and like creating some sort of like precedent and standard that got brought to the United States. And a lot of our legal system like was built off of that history. And in like English common law, children were property Mm -hmm. and women were property. And this whole conversation about children's rights has not progressed in this at the same pace that women's rights have been because it was never uncoupled from property rights Mm -hmm. in the same way that women's rights were. So like children's rights advanced to a certain point around like women being able to have custody of children and divorces. Right. But they kind of died there and women got more rights and have been seen not as property for longer but that same like progress and advocacy and like changing how we think about these people and their relationship to power has not been updated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It hasn't happened. Like I think the closest that we've come to that as like a planet has been the UN convention on the rights of the child, which it's everything, huge. everyone except the U S has signed. Oh, and like Somalia and no, Somalia signed it. Somalia signed it. Yep, it's Saudi only Arabia the US signed now. it. It's only the U.S. now. Yep. Back when I first read it in like 2015, it was like the U.S., Saudi Arabia, Somalia, mm-hmm. and some other like really like other regressive right, human rights. North Korea, I think it was North Korea. Yeah. Anyway, we haven't signed it. You want to talk about like why we haven't signed it and also like why it like doesn't doesn't matter if we sign it? Yeah. So uh, surprising no one listening to this podcast, the reason that we haven't signed it is because of HSLDA. (laughs) Is it because of Mike Ferris? It's because of Michael Ferris. Uh, In 2007, he launched parentalrights.org because – the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child was being brought to the table. Um, and Obama was like, it like started in 2007, kind of like because it was be, it was going to be brought up in Congress again. And the important thing to note too, going back, is like we actually are a signatory of it. We signed the convention under like Reagan, I think. Back in 1989 when it was first yeah. adopted. But we haven't ratified it. So, like, we're, we're like, sure, like, this can be, it was, like, signing a petition. Like, sure, yeah, this is a cool idea. But we never, like, agreed to abide by it. And so in 2007, this was going to be, like, like the end of 2007, early 2008, this was going to be brought up in Congress in the next session. So, yes. You look like you want to and say I, let me just, oh, <laughs> I was Yeah, I was going to say. What am, am, amuses me the most is, I think, beyond all of the other stuff that we've talked about in terms of like why signing or ratifying this would create issues for the conservative strategy around children and parents. The thing that entertains me the most is that like what I remember them talking about is like why 
it was a bad idea was it would prevent parents from spanking their kids. Yes. Because that is one of the things that's talked about in the convention. Yes. <laughs> and I just remember being a kid and being like, yeah, of course parents should spank their kids. Like, why, why would they want to take that from us? Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So this was <laughs> happening. This is also on the heels of a couple court cases that we'll get into next episode that sort of like put the sovereignty of quote unquote parental rights, if you will, kind of in question. Um, and so Michael Ferris launches this organization and then Obama gets elected and Michael Ferris can't have that. He's really pissed that we have a democratic president. And so like parentalrights.org goes full force, like anti convention of the rights of the child. And they scaremonger all of the homeschool parents. It's brought to a vote in Congress or like maybe like just committee. It didn't get very far. Like there's a reason. It, it, it was brought to state level votes and some states passed there. There, Anyway, we can get into that next yeah. episode, but yeah. Also just, just a note y'all like Kieran graduated high school in 2006. Mm hmm even though you're younger than me. Yeah. And I graduated high school in 2007. And so this was happening as we were like leaving high school and looking for first jobs if homeschoolers were not going to college after. So we had a lot of peers who went and got their first jobs at parentalrights.org. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah 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 no i i, I know i i yeah <laughs> way too connected to that organization than i care to admit but they organized all the homeschoolers to to call everyone to be like no we can't do this this infringes on our rights and some of the arguments that they used were like this will make it so a child can choose not to be homeschooled a child could choose not to go to church or not to be a Christian or not to believe what their parents believe. A child could like, you know, this would stop they? spanking from being legal and all of these things. And um, first of all, there's a, a line in the convention on the rights of the child that like says it doesn't infringe on, you know, national sovereignty. So like if it's legal in your country to, beat your children, then it will still be legal in your country to beat your children. This is just like an idea that you agree should be upheld. There is no enforcement mechanism at all. But of course, HSLDA uh, didn't really get into the fine details of that and didn't inform their supporters that that was a fact. And so no. like a lot of people who grew up with us will think like, oh, we didn't sign this because we didn't want this to be law, which is like, yes. And it wouldn't actually have changed right. anything. Yeah. Like all the countries who treat women and children horribly have all signed this and they haven't stopped treating women and children horribly. There is no enforcement mechanism behind the rights of the child mm -hmm. at all. Like, but the whole thing with HSLDA and parentalrights.org I, I guess more than HSLDA is like they're afraid that there is going and especially like around the time we were graduating and this was all just sort of like being birthed is there was this fear of like an overarching world government taking over the U.S. and taking over all of the countries and enforcing like this very liberal like world standard 
And they couldn't have that because that would infringe on their rights to educate their kids the way that they wanted to or not educate them if they decided. Yeah, the, the fear of like global hegemony around children's rights was very real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're still active today. So when it, it came to a vote again in like 2015 or whatever, they did the same exact thing and got it shut down. And now, now, um, while they do not publicly touch the anti-trans bills because Will Estrada knows better than to do that. See Washington Post article that we will link to in the show notes about that. <laughs> right. Like they are behind a lot of the kind of rhetoric, a lot of the like kind of book banning stuff. Like mm-hmm. they and ADF are very active in the cases that are happening right now to various degrees. Yeah. They they are behind this push, even if they're not publicly touching it. Like you it's it's a bingo card every single time. Is yeah. some one of these pops up, I'm like, all right, so do a tiny bit of digging and how many seconds will it be until I find the ADF or HSLDA or Yeah. Which we'll it. get into we'll get into who all is behind all of this and like all the connections in like the episode after the next episode again the conspiracy is real like it's not it, it's it's not a conspiracy theory it is an actual conspiracy yeah that has been in the works since before we were born like yeah this shirley dude saw this coming in 1981 like and tried to stop a baby mikey yeah like i i wasn't like my mom wasn't even pregnant with me at that point. My mom was a teenager. Like this mm-hmm. is this has been going on for a long, long time. Yeah. So here's the thing to like kind of take away. I mean, I I'm sure we'll talk about more after this, but I I just want to like put a pin in this so you, you 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 remember it. The thing to take away from this episode is parents do have rights under property law history, but the rights come after fulfilling their responsibilities and they have responsibilities to, you know, like we've been in this ongoing nonsense battle with a neighbor about our lawn. And our lack <laughs> of a lawn. If I haven't told you about this, let me, let me dish dish and give you an yeah sidebar extended metaphor let's do it my housemate life partner and i are destroying our front lawn and sheet mulching and remediating the soil because it's just been compact clay that was like dug out from our basement and just like piled in the front yard and like things drove over it trucks and shit and then they put in turf and like it's just sat there and been gross and suburban for since the sixties. So we cut the sod, we flipped the sod. We're doing this remediation project, blah, 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 blah. But last year before we cut the sod to start this like remediation project, trying to like bring, you know, nitrogen and nutrients into the soil, the, we don't have an HOA, but we do have VDOT and VDOT came by and was like, here's a notice that you have been reported for having your lawn um, too long. Certain pieces of the weeds in the grass had shot up to 
12 inches and gone to seed. It was mid-May. And we were three days out from cutting this sod and flipping it and just like getting rid of all of it. So like, what's the point of mowing it when you're just going to get rid of it in a minute? It was like Wednesday and we were going to do this on Saturday. And so VDOT came and was just like, your lawn is looking gross. We are going to come cut it for you next week. (laughs) And you will pay the expenses for us cutting it for you if you do not cut it by next Wednesday or whatever. Would have been like $500, like formally like paying their expenses as a fee, but like technically as a fine. Like Mm -hmm. That is property law. You are not maintaining your property. It is an eyesore. We do not have an HOA, but like still within like community residential areas, there is like a certain standard that you have to maintain. They don't care if we're minding our business and doing our own shit. As long as we are upholding this like communal, we live in a society agreement to treat each other well by maintaining certain standards. And that grass being that high was violating that standard, which we think is bullshit, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. The, con- the idea is like we have the right to do what we want as long as we are fulfilling our part of the social contract here. Mm-hmm. And fast forward to now, we this the same neighbor who reported us last time is trying to get us on other stuff. We got a whole permit. It's a whole thing. It was like year long saga. <laughs> the law Nazi. We're winning because I was raised by a bureaucrat <laughs> and I can play zoning, you know, chess better than this guy can. It's fine. But the point is like, there's, that is a case where you have property rights that are within a certain boundary of property responsibility. Right. We lose the resp- the right to take care of our lawn once we violate our, like neglect our responsibility to take care of our lawn. Mm-hmm. And children's rights work the same way historically in our country. You have to fulfill certain obligations to care for your child and feed your child. This is why the foster care system like CPS will come and look at your kid. And if you are neglecting your responsibilities to your child, they have the right to take the child away from you. Same exact mechanism. Yep. So keep this in mind as you see these news articles going around. Parents have responsibilities. Children's ha- children have rights. The parents are obligated to fulfill those rights to their children, you know, to provide for them. Children have like a right to be fed and safe and educated. Uh, And if they are not fulfilling those rights, the state will take the child away from them. Yep. And that is the thing that is overlooked every single time. Parents have responsibilities. Parents do not have rights first. They have responsibilities first. Exactly. And so, yeah, and that's what's really irritating because like, a lot of the arguments I see are like, well, but like this hurts queer parents' rights. And it's like, I mean, yeah, but you, it's your child's right to an education. It's not your right to dictate. Right. And, and so every time you turn it back into the parents, right, you are ne- neglecting t- this like really valuable argument 
of my child has a right to this. Mm-hmm. My child is an independent, autonomous being. I have a responsibility to care for them and keep them safe. But my child has a right to medical care. My child has a right to education. My child has a right to an open future. Exactly. I feel like that's a good note to end on because we're going to get into all of the law history stuff. And like, I feel like it's the most important thing right now is just because of the slew of information and all these things happening, like don't cede the ground to parental rights extremists in your arguments. Like always reframe it to center the rights of your child. It's so funny that like the first thing you learn in like debate camp club class whatever is like once you are participating in your opponent's argument according to their terms and you haven't argued the definitions or the like the foundation of assumptions Mm -hmm. under their argument if you don't challenge those assumptions you're playing on their turf and you cannot go back in that debate and like reassert a new definition later once you've like yep. already played by their their terms and their assumptions. And so this is where we have to be really careful to not give that ground. Yeah. Cause like honestly, the biggest thing right now, like a lot of these bills aren't gonna make it through. But the impact that these bills are having and the impact that this conversation is having is making people scared. It's making people feel threatened. It's activating that fight or flight response. And that's their goal. Mm-hmm. And the only way to fight that is to get out of that mode. You can only like you you can't meaningfully combat the fear-mongering and the fight or flight response while you are in that response. The only mm-hmm. way that we can stop that from happening is to change the narrative and calm people down and reframe it and recenter it on the rights of children because they're saying that they're trying to protect children, but what they're actually doing is infringing on the basic human rights of children to exist. Right. So before you go into mama bear mode, which is natural, but is a like a somatic response that will have negative ramifications, um, slow down reframe the argument, just pause. Children have rights. Parents have responsibilities. And uh, we're going to have to make some merch about that because <laughs> we'll put it, we'll, we'll put it on things so you can always have it and remember. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> so, so important. If you take nothing else from this series, <laughs> parents have responsibilities and children have rights. That's, That's it. it. That's it. That's the beginning and the end of the conversation. Yep. Okay. Go enjoy some sunshine, folks. Thanks for your patience. We will be back next week with part two. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Cult podcast. Our music is from the track Janet by the Bend the Heavens on their album Stenazzo. Our producer is Dave the Great. Our podcast is made possible by Patreon donations from listeners like you. To support us and join our community on Slack, check out patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. Thanks for listening.